What's going on, Heartland? So good to see each and every one of you today. Thanks so much for being here. Before I do anything else, I want to look into the camera and say a big hello to all of those that are watching online today. Come on, Heartland family, help me welcome them to church. And we're so glad that each and every one of you are here. I know it's a room full of uh, brand new faces, and I want to take just a second and welcome uh, a life management course that decided to pop in, Pathways Class 413. Great to have you guys with us today as well. You're our special guests. We're honored to have you. Thanks for hanging out with us today. And really to all of you, uh, you came on a great Sunday. Today is Anointing Sunday. I'll talk about that in just a second. A couple things going on around here. Today is begins the final week of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, it's been a, an amazing two weeks so far. I hope that you feel closer to Jesus uh, than when the year started. And uh, there are prayer guides available in the lobby if you want it for the last week here, uh, or you can also grab those on our website. And then tonight is our welcome to church party for all of you that are brand new to our church and want to join us. I know a bunch of you are already signed up. So if you're not and uh, you're checking this church out, you're like, how do I get in? You know, uh, how do I join or how do I, how do I meet people or what, what's my next step? There's a QR code right there. I'd love for you to join me tonight uh, it's a very informal kind of hangout environment. We're gonna have a lot of fun. You're gonna meet a whole lot of people. Uh, I'd love for you to come tonight though and hang out, but I want you to register. So hit the QR code real quick that's there on the screen. Leave it up for a second, guys, uh, so they have that time. And uh, join us tonight. And if for some reason you miss it here, go out to Connections after the service today and uh, sign up there. And then this coming Wednesday continues the prayer meetings uh, that we're doing right now. And man, there was a whole bunch of y'all that showed up uh, this past Wednesday to pray with us. And... Uh, this, these prayer meetings, as I've been saying over the last several weeks, we're gonna keep doing them and keep doing them. Just because 21 days ends doesn't mean we stop. And really my hope and, and vision and, and plan is that Wednesday night in our church becomes a night for the whole family uh, where we're having prayer meetings that are taking place uh, in here for, for the adults and then over in our student auditorium, all of our students, in fact, they have a huge night this coming week called One Night uh, on Wednesday night. And uh, I'm telling you, they're, they're growing. God's doing amazing things. Uh, and they're giving away Chick-fil-A for a year uh, in, in that night. So I don't know how that works, but I can tell you one thing. I don't need Chick-fil-A for a year. Uh, but uh, when my metabolism was good, it was a different story. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, and then uh, we're getting ready to introduce some things over in kids that I'll be telling you about soon. Uh, so really my hope is that kids are here studying and hanging out long before service starts and it becomes kind of that middle night of the week where people can come and gather together. And uh, I'm really so excited about that. Well, if you'll allow me, uh, before I get started, can I, can I do something really unique that I, I almost never do? Can I share the results of our legacy offering uh, from December? Uh, with our church. For those who are new, uh, we do each year what's called the legacy offering. We do it in December. It's the only special offering we take the entire year. We do it on the first weekend of December, 
And uh, it goes to what we call the five lanes of legacy. We use it to make a difference. In, in other words, we don't, we don't pay a salary. Nothing goes really to us. It's so that we can make a difference uh, locally, nationally, and internationally in missions and all around the world. And so it's, it's given to make a difference in the lives of others. And together, our church gave uh, as God directed them. Now, let me give you some context. Until last year, the largest legacy offering that we'd ever received uh, was in uh, 2022, or at the end of 2021, and it was $272,000. Well, a year ago in December of 2022, our church gave $528,000 to make a difference. Isn't that amazing? That was in 2022, and it was double what God uh, had done. And honestly, I remember I thought, I, I, I've died and gone to heaven uh, because this was the impact that we were gonna be able to make uh, and as a result, we were able to give away half a million dollars uh, last year to make a difference in our community, and you did that. Uh, but, but how many people know that God is a God of supernatural? Uh, <laughs> and uh, God has literally blown our minds this year. That's because uh, together you guys have given $783,000. Come on in our legacy offering. Is that not amazing? Now, I've told you that as a church, whenever we do our part, God does his part. And when we're faithful, he's faithful. And when we test him, he throws open the doors. And I believe that God has looked at HC and found us to be faithful. And I believe as a result of that, that he spoke to a family in our church to come right alongside of you. And a family in our church said, we feel called to give a significant gift. And so in addition to this, they gave a half a million dollars to Legacy. So as a result, this is actually our total for Legacy. Come on, is there anybody in the room that's thankful for what God has done to make a difference? Thank you, Jesus. And I have to say, I, I don't really have any more tears because I have wept so much already at God's faithfulness. And some of you that are new, you don't understand because this number has nothing to do with us. This is all about us being able to reach out and make a difference in the lives of others. And uh, so I just wanna say thank you. For, okay, maybe I do have a few more tears. <laughs> ah, I'm becoming like my dad. Uh, Ah. <laughs> and you know me, you know that I, I don't really talk about money at all, but this year we're going to be able to do more in our community than we've ever done before. Can we just give God praise for that all over the world? Well, today is Anointing Sunday. I'll talk more about that, uh, but. Uh, let me just say what I normally say at the end, because today we're going to end very different than we normally do. We, we, if, you don't, we don't, if, if you're a guest with us today, please don't feel obligated to give. You know, we don't pass buckets. We don't, you know, we don't receive an offering like physically. There are boxes in the hallways. If you want to give online, uh, you can do that. If you're a guest hanging out with us today, please don't even worry about this. Let this service be our gift to you. This is really for our faith family. So... Uh, obviously, our legacy offering covers none of our operating expenses, so don't leave here thinking like, Heartland's rich today. Uh, <laughs> we're about to be rich in good deeds, amen, everybody? Uh, so 
We're in a series right now uh, called The Power That I Need. Uh, So if you're new, you caught us really kind of at the start of this. We're still in chapter one of the book of Acts. I felt like God spoke to me last year and told me to take our whole church through the book of Acts, which I've never done anything like this before. Uh, But when you come to the book of Acts, God takes ordinary people and uses them to begin to do extraordinary things. That's, That's the heart of God. He loves to do things beyond our ability, things that that display his power. Uh, But in order for that to happen, we have to have supernatural power for God to move through us. And that's that's why the key verse in Acts 1, verse eight, I've read it to you a number of times over the last several weeks, and it's this verse that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God, God wants to equip us with power. But if we're gonna know the power of God, then we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to be clothed with the Spirit. We have to be baptized with the Spirit. We have to be operating in the Spirit. All of those are synonymous terms. We have to, we have to be empowered to move from the ordinary to the extraordinary, to move from the natural to the supernatural. By the way, that wasn't just for them back then. That's the heart of God is to keep doing that now. There's nothing in the Bible that says he doesn't want to do that today. In fact, the greatest need of our churches today is we need that power. We need it more than programs. We need it more than information. We need it more than ingenuity. We need power from heaven. Amen, somebody. The good news is, is that he wants to use us and he wants to empower us to have that power. He, He wants us to live a life that's far greater than we could ever imagine. God wants to do that in this church. God wants to do that in your life. And and I just believe that over the course of this year, we're gonna watch him pour out his power on his people like we've never seen before. Amen, everybody? But when we come to verse 12 in the book of Acts, which is where we left off last week, we have not yet come to the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out uh, on, on his people. That's in Acts chapter two. We'll kind of get started with that in a couple weeks. But instead, the setting that we're seeing today is the days before the Holy Spirit has been poured out. In fact, the verse that we're gonna read is about 10 days before Pentecost actually happens. So after, let me give you some context for a second. After Jesus ascends and goes up to heaven, the question kind of is this, it's, it's what did the disciples and all those people that were kind of left standing and looking up, what did they do? Like what is it that happened and what can we learn that can help us in our lives today? Remember that just prior, the Lord had told them to wait. He said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that's about to come and then he ascends into heaven. And so that's what they're about to do. They're about to wait. And the question is, how did they wait? Like, what did it look like for them to wait? And in Acts chapter one, verses 12 through 14, we learned that there's really four things that were a part of their response to Jesus's instructions to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me just read the verses that we're gonna kind of look at for a moment today. It says this, Acts chapter one, verse 12 through 14, it says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. So all the disciples are there. 
minus Judas, there are several women that are there, and there uh, are the brothers of Jesus. And there's four things that I want you to see that are instructive to us as we wait on the Lord for him to do something uh, that we need in our lives. You know, there's some of you in this room today that you would say, Dusty, I don't feel like I've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Maybe you've never asked. Maybe you haven't asked out of fear or worry that he wouldn't give it to you. There, there's some of you that have gone to God about something in your life and you've asked him for something. Maybe, maybe healing. Uh, maybe some of you are waiting on healing. Maybe some of you have asked God about a job situation. Maybe some of you have something to do with family. Like, God, I'm asking you right now. And, and my concern is that there are some that it would say, well, I've asked him, but nothing's really happened. And so as a result, I kind of feel like, like nothing's gonna happen, you know? In fact, some people have kind of relegated it to saying something like this. Well, if God wants me to have something, then he'll just do it. So if he does it, great. And if he doesn't, then I guess he didn't want me to. By the way, that's faulty thinking. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that God will just do whatever he does regardless of whether or not you participate in it. In fact, I would say that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. That's the easiest way to a powerless, prayerless existence with no relationship with the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the four things that they did together. What did they do after the instructions Jesus gave them? I want you to write these down. The first thing is that they prayed compliantly. Compliantly is the word. Remember, remember uh, Luke, who wrote Luke's gospel, wrote the book of Luke, and wrote the book of Acts. He wrote this at the very end of Luke. So, so Jesus is the one saying everything in Luke chapter 24. He says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But notice what he says, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now I really wanna emphasize that for just a second. Stay here in the city. Like stay, wait, seek, just because you haven't received the infilling of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that it isn't God's will to empower you. If those early church apostles sat and sought after God for 10 days until it happened, how much more should it be in our lives that we're willing to wait for whatever it is that we want God to do in our lives? So they stayed. They obeyed. He told them to wait, and they waited. Look again at the command from Acts chapter 1. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. At your salvation, the Holy Spirit, when you say, Jesus, come into my heart, live in my life, the moment that you do that, the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you, begins to live inside of you. But there is a second work of the Spirit where the Bible says that he wants to come upon you. As one writer said, said it this way, he's in me for my sake, but he's upon me for your sake. He's in me to make me more like Jesus. He's in me to be my guide. He's in me to direct me, but he comes upon me that I might minister to the people around me. And so if you're gonna be empowered to live out the purpose that God has for you in your life, then you're gonna need him to guide you. That happens at it, it happens at salvation for us so that he can teach us and lead us, but we need him upon us. We need upon us so that we can pray for other people. We need him upon us so that we can witness. We need him upon us so we can encourage people. A power to see him use our lives. 
God wants us to learn how to wait upon him. He wants us to learn how to wait upon him for the gift of the Spirit. This is why it's so important that they did. And I want to show you what they did. We already read it, but let me just make sure you see it. Verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. They obeyed. Can I just say this to somebody in the room today? One of the keys to receiving from God in any area of your life is you got to learn to obey God. <laughs> You just gotta learn to obey him. A lot of Christians never receive from God in prayer. And they don't experience answered prayers because they're not obedient to doing what God tells them to do. Now, I want you to think about this logically in their shoes for just a second. If you're not careful, you can read this verse and just skip right by it and not even think twice about it. But I want you to, to really think about this. When Jesus told them to stay, it was sort of crazy for them to really do that. Because if you would have understood their world, they had every reason in the world not to stay. Let me break it down for you. Reason number one is that none of the 11 remaining disciples were from Jerusalem. Of, of the 12 disciples, only one of them was from the region of Judea and, and even lived even remotely close to Jerusalem, and that was Judas. The rest of the disciples were from a town called Galilee, 93 miles away from Jerusalem. It would have been really easy for Peter to look around and say, look, we all have families, we all have homes, we all have businesses. Let's wait, but let's just go back there. Let's go back home and wait there instead. We'll, we'll be with family, we'll be with friends. Maybe we can make a little bit of money. We at least have a place to stay. Like, let's, let's go back to Galilee. John could have come right up in that moment and said, you know, I mean, think about this. They arrested Jesus. They condemned Jesus. They, they executed Jesus. If we stay in Jerusalem, we could be next. That's reason number two. They actually thought that their lives were in danger. And they felt like we need to leave. They got Jesus, and now they feel like he's, they're probably coming after us next. But instead, they, they returned back to Jerusalem, and they waited on the Lord to do what he promised. See, when it comes to a life of power, when it comes to a life of, of, of chasing after God in prayer, are you committed enough that you're willing to wait? for God to answer whatever it is that you're praying for, to wait on God. I'm gonna ask until I receive. I'm gonna seek until it happens. I'm gonna knock until the door gets opened. I believe he's gonna do it, but he's gonna do it in his time, and I'm gonna wait on him. Are you willing to keep waiting for the promise of God for your kids? Are you willing to keep waiting for the promise of God for your spouse or for your job or for your health or for your future. I've told you guys many times about my personal mentor, Fred. Fred tells the story about how there was a season of their marriage where things were awful. They were both not Christians. And his wife was saying, I'm divorcing you. You're horrible. I don't want you in my life. I don't want you in my home. I want you gone. And he started coming to this place during this season where he came to a saving faith in Jesus. She was not a Christian, he was. And he, 
He made a decision in his life, I'm gonna believe God and begin to seek him for the restoration of my marriage. Only problem was she didn't wanna be married. So he would sleep outside the bedroom door on the floor. She would come home drunk at night and when she would come home drunk, she would step over him and say, I don't know why you try to stay here. And one day she asked Fred, she said, when are you just gonna be done and let me have my divorce? And Fred said, when the Lord says so, but he hasn't said so yet. See, he was believing for something. By the way, he and Fred and Anna are an amazing couple. They've ministered to thousands of couples today. God restored their marriage, did a powerful thing. But there was nothing in that moment that made it actually look like God was gonna do anything at all. Can you wait when you don't get the instant answer that you're after? Listen to me, sometimes your prayers are not answered in the microwave. Sometimes they're answered in the crock pot. <laughs> what do you do when God doesn't bring healing quickly? That's the kind of obedience and prayer that God honors in your life. The second thing that they did is they prayed compatibly. Let me show you Acts chapter one, verse 12. It says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Let me show you, this is a, a picture of, of, of the Mount of Olives just so that you can, you can see it for a second. I apologize, it's not like a great picture, but uh, there's the chapel of, of uh, all nations. And uh, the Mount of, of Olives is less than a mountain like than you think. Uh, so Jerusalem's over on the far right side and, and it's like, this is the Mount of Olives, you know, up here, like on this ridge. Uh, and so Jerusalem's out of sight. Well, down, down below down here, you have the Kidron Valley. Um, and so Jerusalem is over there. So Bethany would be like, like way back there. Uh, you can't really see it. Now, let me, let me show this to you, okay? Luke, Luke chapter 24, it says, when he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So Again, let me, let me show you this, all right? So this is, here's kind of the idea. Like there's the Temple Mount, the, do the Dome of the Rock right there. Down here, there's the Kidron Valley, all right? Then the Mount of Olives kind of go, goes up, like right up in there. And then back, way back in here would be where, where Bethany is. And so somewhere uh, by, by kind of by that tower, I guess you could say, right, right, right in this area is where he would have, that's the Mount of Olives, he would have ascended he blessed them in a sense. So the disciples have to do this. They have to, they come down from this part. They, they come all the way down here. They would not cross the Kidron Valley. They would come around. They would go up. And then uh, the upper room would be back in this area somewhere back in there. Now, I want you to see this. Acts chapter one says, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. That phrase, a Sabbath day's walk, goes back to in the Old Testament when Moses was leading the nation of Israel. Remember, the tabernacle would sit at the center of the camp and then the 12 tribes of Israel would, would surround the camp. And so on the Sabbath day, they needed, um, they needed to walk to the tabernacle. Uh, but it was kind of against the Sabbath to do too much walking, too much work. So from the very edge of the camp in any direction, it was like half a mile, it was, it was like a kilometer, two thirds of a mile. And that was called a Sabbath's day 
journey, so to speak. So you could walk that far, you just couldn't really walk any, any further than that. That was the phrase. So they went from the Mount of Olives, they go into Israel, they go into the upper room, and let's keep reading. Verse 13, it says, when they arrived, they went to upstairs to the room that they were staying. So the houses in those days, if somebody was wealthy, they would have two levels. This home had a second level. Uh, Kendra and I have been to the place, uh, the upper room that they believe uh, was the upper room at that time. I, I hope many of y'all get to go and Kendra and I get to take you sometime. It's one of our favorite things to do is to take people to Israel. Uh, it's Kendra's, this is Kendra's favorite place, by the way, the upper room is uh, in all of Israel. And it was large enough to host 120 people, which tells us that the owner was probably very wealthy. And there it is that they waited on the Holy Spirit. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. That's obviously a different Judas. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we see these women down here, by the way. This was probably the same group of women that followed him throughout his ministry. Let me show you. This is Luke chapter eight. It says, after this, uh, Jesus traveled from about one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, that's the disciples, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Uh, Joanna, the wife of Shuza, uh, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Jesus's ministry was being supported and funded by a group of wealthy women. We don't really talk about that kind of stuff much. And, you know. and it's likely that many were there. And you had Jesus's brothers, which in case you didn't know it, Jesus did have earthly brothers. That was probably fun. Um, they would have been half brothers because while they shared a mother, uh, Mary, they did not have the same father. They were sons of Joseph. Jesus was not born from Joseph. Jesus was the son of God. By the way, their names are listed in Matthew 13. Joseph, Simon, Judas, and James, who wrote the book of James. And it's interesting that they're there because early in his ministry, the Bible tells us how they actually felt about Jesus. It says that even his own brothers did not believe in him. But now here they are 40 days after the resurrection. The, the point is just this. That there are 120 people made up of Jesus' disciples and Jesus' brothers and this group of women and there has to be other followers. And what you have in this group is all of them devoted to Jesus, but all of them having very different experiences with Jesus. They would have had different spiritual maturities. James, his brother, would eventually become the leader of the church in Acts, but he hasn't even really believed until Jesus was resurrected. So he's kind of a newbie to, to the whole thing. You have Jesus' mother who, who knew him better than anybody. Uh, among the disciples, you have the disciple that Jesus loved. He made sure to tell you. John, you have Peter. Jesus could never get away from Peter. Peter made sure of it. They were, they were close, Peter and Jesus, because of it. And so they all had different perceptions of things. They all had different memories of things. But what I've been building to, as I've been telling you this, is this. All of these with, everybody say these two words with me, with with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That word accord there is, is the word in the Greek, homo thumadon. Homo meaning the same, thumadon meaning thermometer. 
So they had the same temperature. They had the same spiritual temperature. They had the same passion. They were all on the same page. They were united. We see this later on in the book of Acts, that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So think about this. Despite all that they'd been through, despite all the fear that they could have had, despite what could have taken over, they were passionately praying together. This is a group that's diverse in some ways, and yet they have the same spiritual passion. Can can I just say this to every single person in this room? This is the key to any church experiencing a move of God. This is, by the way, that I, why I feel like, like God is about to do something in this church is because of our unity. Amen. I cannot tell you how unified this church is. I can't tell you when I talk to our executive directors and our directors, I just, I just feel it in every room we get in. Unity, everybody fired up, everybody on the same page. Listen to me, if we don't have unity, we don't have anything. We are a united church, one passion. Now listen to me, we don't have to have the same political perspective. We don't have to have the same family background. We don't have to see every issue the same, but we do need to have the same spiritual passion. Amen? And we have to let love cover our differences, our, our different preferences. And together, if we'll approach God with hunger and unity, let me just tell you what'll happen is he'll move. Let me just say this today. It's a political year. The temperature's gonna change out there. But the temperature can't change in here. We gotta stay unified. We have to recognize that we can't let things of this world interrupt the real kingdom that we're fighting for. And if we want unity, praying together will bring it. like, I don't have unity. Come to the prayer meeting and see what happens. People will never share the same heart until they start praying together. Every time I've seen God do a supernatural move in in, in the ministry teams and the things around me, it's always started because of prayer. That's why these midweek prayer meetings are so, it's the most important thing that we're doing. If you can only attend one service all week long, come to the prayer meetings. When, When we pray together, it will create the same passion, the same spiritual temperature. Every great move of God that's ever happened in the history of humanity started because a people, a group of people got together and started praying. And they prayed over and over and over. It led to spiritual unity. That spiritual unity allowed the Holy Spirit to pour himself out in such a way that it led to powerful revival. And that's what I want for us. By the way, I I love the way that you love one another here. I watched you at, at Giving Hope, our Christmas mall that we do for our community where We created a shopping mall and over 400 children uh, got blessed because of it and 350 of you served. I remember I walked around that day, there were no logos, there were no egos, there were just people loving one another and loving other people to life, total unity. And I know you have preferences. Some of you like it loud. Some of you wish it weren't so loud. Some of you wish we did some things different. I get it. Some wish I dressed up more. Some, some wish I wore a hat. <laughs> we, all, we all have preferences. But we need to be committed to our unity more than we are our preferences. We, we have to come together to be passionate about what God 
has called us to do. So in your small groups, fight for unity. The best way that you can do that is that if somebody's negative, just say something positive. I tell people at our Welcome to Church party, I'll say it tonight. This is a snob-free, drama-free zone. If you want drama, this is not the church for you. And I, and I just wanna say that I commend you, church, for fighting for this. The unity of peace, the bond of peace that we have here is incredible. Come on, thank you, thank you, thank you for fighting for it. Psalm 133 says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Doesn't mean uniformity, doesn't mean we all dress the same, doesn't mean we all look alike. Doesn't mean that, yeah, I mean, you, you, some of you wanna wear a suit, please do it, please. If you wanna wear shorts and flip-flops, our legacy director, Steve Cash, will join you. He'll lead, he's leading the truck. But we have the same spiritual passion. And when we have that, God will command blessing. Here's the third thing. I'm getting ready to kind of bring this to a close. They prayed constantly. They prayed constantly. Acts 1.14 says, all these things, are, all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, the Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They devoted themselves. In the, in the original Greek, we would, we would read like they were praying all the time, full time. They didn't stop. And, and as we begin to move throughout this book in the weeks ahead, you'll see this theme time and time again. Like in Acts 2, 2.42, they devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and the prayers. Acts 3, one day Peter and John were going up to a temple at the time of prayer. Acts 4.24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Like they're praying and praying and praying, praying people. And the church is born out of prayer. They face problems in prayer. They devote themselves in prayer. This is why prayer is so critical. Prayer has to be the foundation. The prayer meetings that we're starting on Wednesdays, the most important thing that we do, because without the prayer meetings, all we'll be is just a club. We'll, we'll, we'll just experience the best that we can do. And the best that I can do is just simply not enough to change and transform somebody's life. It, it, it can't transform marriages. It can't change lives. It can't bring revival. It can't bring healing. Samuel Chadwick said this, that the church that multiplies committees and neglects prayer may be fussy, noisy, enterprising, but it labors in vain and spends its strength for naught. It is possible to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamics. There is an abundance of machinery. What is lacking is power. Isn't that powerful? Prayer changes everything. Everything will change in our church exponentially this year because of the prayer meeting. Can I just say this to somebody in this room today? Maybe you walked in for the very first time. Prayer is the answer to everything that you face. Every problem that you face can be solved in prayer. Every one of them. I'll set the table for you. If you're new to our church, listen. I've always been about systems and processes. I've done cool church. I've done relevant church. It's, it's not about the kind of church. It's about the power of God in your life. I believe in AA. I believe in programs. I believe in freedom. Every course, every meeting, all those things are powerful. They are good. But prayer can do what we cannot do, what we do not have the power to do on our own. And that's what I want our church to be known for. And watch what'll happen. 
there will be, if we begin to pray like this, there will be an accumulating grace that starts to build. It's God's favor. It'll start to build. It's an anointing that will sit on this place. It'll allow the supernatural to start happening. That divine favor, we'll start to see it if we start devoting ourselves to prayer. The reserves will fill up and they will overflow as we begin to pray. So I'm telling you, be at the prayer services. If there's nothing else you you do all week, come to the prayer service. Here's the last one. I want our team to come because I'm closing today. Is that they pray confidently. Now let me just say this about this last one. This last one is implied. It's not spoken. But the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, when it comes in Acts chapter two, we'll talk about it in the weeks ahead, that they're filled with the Spirit. Now listen, they prayed for 10 days not knowing for sure if God would really pour out his spirit or not. But here's what they did, is they just believed it was gonna happen. They believed it would happen. And after five days, they kept praying. After seven days, a week has passed now, they're still praying. After nine days, guess what? They're, they're still praying. Why? Because they were confident. And so they waited. And they waited and they waited. It, it's a valuable lesson for us. It, it, it's not just the confidence of prayer, it's the patience of prayer. So keep asking, and keep asking, and keep seeking, and keep seeking, and keep knocking. And I just believe that God will answer those prayers, just like he answered the prayer of those 120 people. And that's why today we're gonna put this into practice on anointing Sunday here in just a moment. Now, there are a lot of you that are brand new to our church today. And so let me just take a second and explain to you what is about to happen. Some of you are like, what's about to happen up in here? Anointing Sunday is something that we do once a year. You have some some of that oil for me? We do this once a year. And it's a time where our elders and our pastors and our directors, we actually like pray physically for every family that's here today. And as, as pastors and elders and leaders, we're actually going to anoint you with oil. Now, some of you are like, do what? Now, hold on, don't freak out, okay? We see this idea in 1 Samuel 16. It says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So from a scriptural standpoint, what we do is we symbolically anoint with oil. Now, some of you have never had this done to you before, so let me explain. This is olive oil. There is nothing magical about it. You could literally dump this into a pan and cook with it. But the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So whenever I take oil and I anoint somebody with it, what I'm asking the Holy, as I'm saying Holy Spirit, I'm asking your spirit to rest upon their lives. And as your pastors, that's what we wanna do. We wanna pray God's blessing. We wanna pray God's protection. We wanna pray his empowerment. We wanna pray his vision over your life. In fact, this is the list of things that we're gonna pray for you today. The very first thing, of course, we're gonna pray for supernatural empowerment over your life this year. We're gonna pray for safety and protection. We're gonna pray favor and success. We're gonna pray for holiness and righteousness. 
I want this to be the greatest year of your life spiritually that you've ever had. And so we just wanna simply pray over you and bless you today. Very quick, will not take a long time. Now, listen to me, you don't have to do it, okay? That's weird for you or maybe it freaks you out. Please know, we're not forcing you to do anything. In fact, I would ask that you not come with an unbelieving heart. But the Bible says that where two or three gather in his name, he is there. So as your pastors and leaders, we want you to come, each one of you today, with you, come with an expectant heart for God to move in your life. Now, the Bible says to do this in order and to do it, do it decently. So we're going to make sure we do that. It's not going to be weird. It's not going to be like, like nobody's going to knock you over, you know, nothing, nothing weird, okay? That's why everybody's doing that. Kendra and I have empowered our directors and our pastors elders, and it's going to take a little bit of time to do this. So here's what we'll do. Okay. Our, our, all of our ushers in a moment will direct you, but what we're going to do is we're going to start at the back of every section and you'll, you'll start out from the right. So you'll exit out. Those of you on the floor, I'm talking to you first. Okay. You'll exit out from the right. You'll come down and then you'll kind of go back up uh, this way. All right. So there you go. You following me in the stadium seating ushers will dismiss. Okay. People will be at the bottom of the stadium seating back there as well. So you'll use the right to come down, the left going up. No, it doesn't make sense. Just listen to the ushers. They'll direct you. When you're done with prayer, you can go back to your seat. You, you can worship for a minute. You can leave. Like whatever you want to do, you can be dismissed. So this is our, like you could call it our formal dismissal for the day here in just a moment when I have you stand. All right. When you come, we want you to come as families. Like bring your spouses, bring your children. You know, if you have them here, that, if you're alone, that's fine. We'll, we'll pray for you individually and, and, and we'll anoint you and we'll pray for you and then you're free to go. So I want, uh, I want you all to stand with me today. Would you stand? And I want all of our, those that are helping us do this today, go ahead and get into your places. And while you're waiting, and by the way, this will not take long. Maybe I would say about a total of 10 minutes, I think. We've kind of got it down to a process by now. But while you're doing that, our team's just gonna worship. So I would just encourage you, just pray, just worship. But can I say this to each and every one of you? I, I want you to know how much I'm praying for you, how much I'm believing for God's best for you in this season of your life. And I just know that God's gonna meet you right where you're at and he's gonna touch you and he's gonna speak life over you. So let me just pray for you and then we'll dismiss you here in just a moment. And if you want to be dismissed, you can, all right? Father, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice today. I thank you right now that your presence is here. I thank you right now for that early church as an example to us. Maybe there's somebody in this room today that's waiting on an answer to a prayer. I pray right now that you just meet them right where they're at. Let your spirit guide them, encourage them, touch them today. Move in their lives powerfully. We just thank you for it right now in the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. To all those that are here from Pathways today, I'm so glad you're here. After the service, if you'd like, you can be baptized. There's, a, there's an area out there where we've got baptism set up. Just go out and talk to our team. We'd love to see you out there, maybe make that happen. When other classes have come, many have wanted to be baptized. It's a powerful time if you wanna do that. All right, guys, let's take some time now and we're gonna pray together. God bless you today. I'm so glad you're here.
Break it. 
Shine through the shadows. 